Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fortress Comic News, episode 267. I am one of your hosts, Chris, alongside my magnificent co-host, Mike. What's up, Mike? So so magnificent that I'm going to do a magic trick and drop out for the interview and come back <laughs> at the end of the show. Uh, it, it, ne- it needs to be said, we have the returning Derek Robertson on the show today. Yes, the Derek Robertson. Um the artist for Space Bastards, and that's it. No, I'm just kidding. The co-creator of The Boys. Yep. Uh, you got Season 3 dropping next week. Uh, Batman Fortress came out last week. Amazing uh, first issue for a Batman book. Love his art. Love the way he draws Batman. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be chatting with him again. He's a huge Star Wars fan, so I'm, I'm sure Chris can handle that. He's going to be chatting Star Wars with him. We got a lot of Star Wars news this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, so how does this work now? Disney has two separate... Like, because they do the, the D23 isn't Star Wars, right? The Star Wars is its own thing now. D23 was always like a Disney thing. And then like Marvel got sucked into that because they own Marvel. Um, Star Wars Celebration has been a thing for a while. I think it's been a thing since before Disney bought them. Okay. So I think that's something they inherited. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be like the main reason for that. Yeah. Um, either way, it was going on this weekend or this week, and we got a lot of a lot of announcements for Star Wars stuff. Uh, I guess we'll just jump right into it because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. I know Chris Definitely. is probably really excited about this. Um, so they did confirm we're getting Mandalorian season three. Uh, I did see a leak of the trailer online. Someone uh, snuck like an awful video out, and they're probably murdered by Disney now. You probably can't find them. Uh, they probably took them away promptly after posting the video (laughs) they're in the prison underneath the the magic castle yeah there's a rancor down there (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh this isn't so bad and they raise the gates and a rancor is like there's just a bunch of like there's a bunch of like dead like people with star wars shirts on like skeletons with star wars shirts and like and like cracked phones and shit because (laughs) all the people that just sneak shit out (laughs) And then the backgrounds, like, uh, is the head of uh, Walt Disney on the robot body, like in Futurama. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, man, that could be a story. Write that one down. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'd have a lot of trademarking issues, so we have to, you know, adjust some names here and there. But other than that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, so I saw the I saw the uh, leaked season three trailer. It it pretty much seems like. Um, the Mandalorian is going to Mandalore to get his, uh, to win back his honor because he lost, he took his helmet off, whatever. He was like shunned by the, uh, by the all powerful, um, Mandalorian, the head, I don't know what the head chief, I don't know what you call her. Um, but he's going to Mandalore and there's a lot of Bo-Katan in this season. So I don't, it almost looks like they're, they're going to be fighting against each other kind of thing that's yeah I, f- I feel like this season's got to be a lot of like you have the dark saber and i want it yeah so i think they're gonna like they show her sitting on a throne and stuff which is pretty hype because i thought her character is really cool so uh i think that's kind of what it's centered around he's he's trying to get to mandalore bo-katan wants a saber and then hijinks ensue you know and then there's a uh, cute little yoda thing yeah around. there's a cute way to break the tension <laughs> everywhere um <laughs> And we got a trailer for Andor, um, 
which will premiere August 31st, which is kind of soon. Uh, that's the character from Rogue One. Yep. Uh, in the same vein, it looks a lot like Rogue One. It feels like a like a war movie, like this third world country is under the grips of the Empire and they're starting to rebel. So I thought it looked awesome. There's a lot of cool new things they've kind of added to Star Wars, like this almost like a Native American tribe feel uh, to where the town is and these, you know, different different things that they're doing. So um, I thought the trailer was really good. Yeah, I like the idea of setting it like right as the Empire is taking over and kind mm-hmm. of getting into the nitty gritty of how somebody comes to fight against the Empire and join the Rebellion. That's a, mm-hmm. a cool premise to be a part of. So yeah, I'm down yeah, for the show. I think it looks great. Uh, more Star Wars stuff. Um, two new shows were announced. Uh, one from Spider-Man, Spider-Man No Way Home director John Watts and writer Chris Ford called Skeleton Crew. Uh, the series will take place after the turn of the Jedi and be about the reconstruction that follows the fall of the Empire. Uh, and Jude Law has been cast as the lead. So is this finally like the the Kevin Smith like dudes rebuilding the Death Star and cleaning the bathroom <laughs> show that we're, that we finally we thought about for so many years? Um, I, I'm sure it'd be cool than that, but uh, yeah, this and it's so vague. Like yeah, right. But you've got three names that I respect, uh, being John Watts and yep. Chris Ford, who have been the helms behind all three of those Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jude Law is just a phenomenal actor. So, I, I mean, it's a Star Wars on it, so I'm in on it from day one. But I'll be interested to see more of what this is all about. Yeah. Uh, final announcement was a new animated series for kids. that will premiere uh, spring 2023 called Young Jedi. It takes take place through the High Republic era and follow a group of younglings. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's about time that they got back to doing some kid shows. I mean, yeah, as much as I loved uh, Clone Wars and Rebels and all that, like remember at its core, those were kid shows. Like they weren't. I wasn't the audience for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I, I dig the High Republic era. What they've been doing with it so far has been really cool. And um, I think it's about time they got past books and comics and kind of did something mm-hmm. either cartoon or live action with it. Um, yeah, it's, it's always get It's good to get like younger people into that universe too. Um, okay. So I know I did it the last, uh, at the end of the episode last week, I'm going to do the quick Pat's flashbacks here. Season eight, episode 16. Oh uh, this, this episode of the flash kind of interested me because it starts off uh, with the team playing D and D. So that's pretty oh. cool. Pat just wished it stopped there. He said, uh, "Stranger Flash." <laughs> yeah, Stranger Flash. They're like, "Look, we could do it too." Um, I would. Wa- I would totally watch a whole episode of all of them playing D and D. Doctor Peter Orloff shows up and steals a gamma ray from Mercury Labs. Okay, Barry finds the gamma ray. Orloff uses it on him, causes Barry to start aging faster as he uses his speed. Uh, as he gets older, his powers are weakened. He starts losing his memory. Uh, as Barry gets older, Orloff gets younger. Barry is able to destroy the gamma ray machine, restores his youth, and or- or- Orloff's old age. The episode ends with some more D&D. Um, okay. <laughs> and then Barry goes to visit Caitlin and discovers her plot to bring Frost back to life. He then destroys her lab to stop her from bringing Frost back. 
<laughs> so Caitlin is just a fan of the show, and Barry is the producers. <laughs> He's like, no, you won't take anything. You won't give us anything that we want back. First of all, DC, <laughs> we all know that gamma rays turn you into a Hulk. Right. That's what they, they yeah. do. They don't do anything other than that. I don't care about the copyright infringement. <laughs> turn the Flash into a Hulk. Yeah, turn him big and red or something. You know? Come on. That's actually... So, you remember... Uh, so, it was DC versus Vampires where they had to kill Flash because if Flash mm-hmm. became a vampire, he'd be like... He would just kill everything. Yeah, he would just infect everybody. Yeah. Can you imagine the fla- or the Hulk with the Flash's speed? Oh, that would be sick. <laughs> that would be sick. We would be doomed. Yeah. Also, I'm just thinking about it now. Like, Barry playing D&D, like, couldn't he just see the roles before they happen and just manipulate it, like, without anybody even knowing? Yeah, he'd be, he'd be nat 20 left and yeah. right. Nat 20s all day. He'd move so fast. He'd move that dice so fast that nobody would even know. My voice is yeah. cracked there. Yeah, it's all uh, right. <laughs> he'd move that dice, that dice so fast that nobody would know, and he'd be, I don't know, guys, yep. just hitting twenties left and right. Right now, loaded die. He'd have to, he'd have to throw a few like bad numbers in there so people wouldn't catch on. Um, okay, I'm going to talk about because we're on the subject of D and D. I'll just talk about the first episode of Stranger Things I watched. Uh, no spoilers, really. Um, season four came out. There's some D&D being played. We kind of see where every kid is now and how they're dealing with high school because they are in high school now. Um, there's some new characters introduced. There's some weird things happening with new characters. It's more of like a... It's more like horror aspect this season because some like creepy stuff's going on. Um, and there's like, there's like an, another monster and it's almost... I think it's almost playing on like the Mind Flare uh, from D&D. But uh, it's pretty it's pretty sick. We get a lot. The first episode's over an hour. I think it's like an hour and 20 minutes. These episodes are long. So I watched one episode last night. I was like, all right, that's enough for tonight. Um, <laughs> it's hard to binge those all in a row when they're so long. Uh, but yeah, I think overall, it's good to see all the characters back and where they are. You get a good grip of like, because there is a lot of characters to follow. Um, and I say it's a everybody's back pretty much. So. And they're all, you know, you get to a little clip of each person. And it's it's a good start, I think. By the end of the episode, you're like, holy shit, I got to watch more. So um, now for the elephant in the room, uh, the long-awaited Obi-Wan episode one and two discussion. We're going full spoilers because I have some issues we got to talk about. Oh, boy. <laughs> so um, the first episode is a little slow. Compared to the second episode, I think overall I liked it. Um, I so yeah, spoilers, but I the fact that they left Leia out of the trailers was pretty crazy. Um, that was a crazy reveal. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'd say so. I w- I was constantly wondering what the show was going to be about. Yeah, right. Because you can't just have like Kenobi sitting in the desert for right. six episodes. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So, I let. Yeah, it was awesome that Leia was brought in. The actress that plays her is 
adorable and amazing. She's so good. Yeah, she's really good. Uh, she's a young Leia. I mean, I could watch a show with like, okay, so Disney set us up for another TV show with like young Leia and Luke because like I could watch a whole show about her. And then um, the fact that they got the parents to come back as yeah. well. Yeah, Bail Organa. Yep. Yeah. So that whole thing was, I was shocked by that too, but, mm-hmm. and it was cool. I don't think we've ever really gotten a live action look at uh, Leia's planet. Right. You get to see Alderaan, which is sick. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. The mountains, it's almost like Switzerland or something with like the Alps behind it and stuff. Um, yeah, that was a, a beautiful scenery. Uh, the, so it's like a little thing, but like Obi-Wan, you know, he's kind of watching Luke from a distance, but we find out that like, he's, he's the one in a new hope when, you know, Luke is all like, oh, I want to go to Tennessee station. He's like playing with his ships. Like we find out that Obi-Wan is the one who bought him the toy ships. So that was pretty, that was a pretty cool, like, yeah. well, cause his, his father's like, you should be a farmer. Like, you, like he would never buy him spaceships. Right. Um, that was cool. The Inquisitors are interesting. Oh, real quick. That yeah. scene was kind of heartbreaking, too, because the acting was so good. Um, like I was talking about with uh, Moon Knight, like when you look into Obi-Wan's eyes, yeah. you can see like how he just like was heartbroken because Luke's sitting there pretending to pod race. Mm-hmm. And it just go- yeah. it circles right back around to when Obi-Wan first met Anakin. Oh, we got to talk about the intro, dude. The The recap of the the uh the new trilogy or the i guess the middle trilogy uh that was one of the best recaps uh like the catching up of like where are we now you know um i thought that was really good i i could watch that instead of the movies now (laughs) yeah (laughs) pretty much like they did a good job of like pulling the important and pretty good scenes out of those movies so i thought that was good um Overall, I, I really liked it. So the Inquisitors, what do you think about the Inquisitors? I like the Inquisitors. I, okay. I've always liked the Inquisitors. They're really great. They're, they were well done in live action. The Grand Inquisitors look was a little different, but we've only seen them in animation and you know stuff gets exaggerated in animation, so mm-hmm. I can live with it. Um, I mean, do you want me to get to my problem? Because my problem is in episode two. <laughs> Oh, okay. Where's so I'm trying to I'm trying to see where I'm trying to remember where episode one wraps up. So like we find out that like Leia gets kidnapped and Obi Wan has to go find her. So yeah, so they have that right. they have that really great scene where they go into the area where Obi Wan is getting his let's just call it a camel. Mm-hmm. And uh the Inquisitors show up and they're looking for a Jedi. Of course yep. Obi Wan thinks it's him, it's not uh-huh. him. Um and they actually threaten Owen, and you're like, "Is Owen going to give him up?" Yeah, right. Amazing scene there. That was um, really good. Inquis- Inquisitors just like chopping off limbs. Yeah. So that the woman who plays the the third sister, yeah, she's really good at being just a an ass. Yeah, <laughs> like, just a piece of shit. Yeah. Like I just I hated yeah. her from moment one. She did an amazing job at that. I I think what they're going to reveal is that she was a youngling from the the uh, intro that they showed from Order 66. That's what I think, too, because they constantly yeah. are like, where, you know, because of where you came from, like, okay, you were trained yeah. to be a Jedi. Yeah. 
Because um, like Obi, that's why she hates Obi Wan. Obi Wan trained Anakin. Anakin comes and starts killing younglings, her friends, right? So, and he wasn't there to protect them. So that's probably why he, she's like, "You piece of shit!" Like I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and uh, oh, so Leia constantly goes out and like runs into the forest, mm-hmm. and then we see her get kidnapped by. Uh, the basis from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, it looked like Flea. <laughs> it is Flea. It is Flea? It is Flea. I looked it oh up. I was like, is god. that Flea? <laughs> oh my god. It did look like Flea, dude. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah, 100% is Flea. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. And that's when Leia's father comes um, and talks to... Well, first they call... Obi-Wan, he's like, I'm not that guy anymore. I can't do that. And um, then they actually go to the planet and say, like, you're the only one I trust. You have to do this, blah, blah, blah. And that's when he kind of goes out in the desert, finds his lightsaber, and is like, let's go do this shit. And takes off. He finds two lightsabers. Well, yeah, because one was Anakin's. Yeah. 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 Um, And that's where the the episode ends with him walking onto the ship, if Mm -hmm. I remember correctly. Yeah. Episode two, we're now on the whatever planet that was. I don't remember if they said. And uh, he's looking for Leia, and he comes across, uh, I forget the actor's name, but the guy pretending to be a Jedi. The cab driver from Deadpool. See, (laughs) you say that, I say the programmer from uh, Silicon Valley. Oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) I've never seen Silicon Valley. I just don't know his name. He's a great actor, though. Oh, you should watch Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, it'd be right up your alley. Anyways, so yeah, he comes across that guy, he makes a deal with him, he finds Leia. Um Flea gets the jump on Obi-Wan. And that's when he drops like the the spice that makes them all go crazy. Mm-hmm. He finds Leia, and then the rest of the episode is basically them like trying to find their way to this off the planet. Yeah. And Leia being like, I don't trust you. Um, she has good instincts on that one. Yeah, uh, yeah, she does. Yeah, and then they finally trap Obi Wan. That's when the third sister says to Obi Wan, "Like Anakin's still alive. That Vader is right. a thing." And mm-hmm. once again, amazing acting because the look on his face tells yeah. it all. And the Grand Inquisitor comes and tells her, "Like you, you know." You're worthless. Get out of here. And that's when she stabs him with a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Killing the Grand Inquisitor. And Obi-Wan gets away. Um, There's some great scenes with different like bounty hunters and shit throughout there. But that's yeah, the gist like the, of it. The crocodile bounty hunter. Also, <laughs> yeah. the, the little... Yeah, the cro- like Mr. Crocodile's coming. Uh, yeah. uh, the fact that Obi-Wan hates blasters, but he literally used a blaster the whole time. <laughs> Um, how about how about Boba Fett's actor showing up as the as the war vet, the like clone trooper war vet begging for change? That was such a cool little Easter egg. Yeah, that was a that was a tough scene too. Like you know, because Obi Wan right and his uh his role in all of that that was a great right. scene. Yeah, yeah, and to have the actor come in just to do that because technically they're all clones, right? So that was pretty cool. Yeah. 
Um, and the aging works out too because clones age faster, blah, blah, blah. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the, the only problem I had with the episode was the rooftop scene. Like, he's fighting all the bounty hunters, and the third sister is running across the roof for like half an hour. And then, like, he like, gets down off the roof, and she's still supposedly running across the roof. <laughs> that was the only issue. I was like, is she still running? Like, where is she? So. It was a little weird that she was like watching the city like Batman. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of strange. And then just like went hardcore parkour throughout the yeah. city. Yeah. yeah. Um Oh, yeah, and Leia falling off the roof and him having to finally use force powers yeah. for the first time. Yep. Yep, yep. That was pretty cool. Um so my uh, issue. Yeah, what's your issue here? So one, I I say it's an issue. I think it's going to be immediately taken care of because I think the Grand Inquisitor isn't dead. I think that yeah. we're going to get our first look at like how the dark side like can heal wounds and create Cloning. some version yeah. of immortality. Yep. Um, but on its head, the Grand Inquisitor is a key role in Rebels, which takes place after this. So to kill him in Episode Two seems a little strange. <laughs> are you sure? Are you sure it's the same? Like you said, it looks different than that one. So maybe they replace him. It- there is that theory running around that he gets replaced, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know. He looks, he has the same markings in rebels. Like if you pulled up a side by side, he has the same like face painting and all that. It's mm-hmm. just, it's a cartoon. And because of the style of that cartoon, it's exaggerated. Like heads in that cartoon are like long and thin mm-hmm. as opposed to what a real human head looks like. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah I I poo poo that a little bit, but it could be. Um, I think the cooler idea is to just show him, like either in a bath the tank later on coming back, or just showing how the dark side can like heal wounds like that. Because mm-hmm. there is the idea in the background that the dark side can bring about immortality, you know, right. Darth Sidious and all that bullshit. Yeah, Th- that'd be the cooler way to go about it, but. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's taking him off the board so that the third sister, so it can be the third sister versus Obi-Wan. I mean, we literally saw Anakin get his limbs chopped off and burned from lava. So, like, um, yeah, obviously, <laughs> he's like, oh, he's still alive. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I think overall is good. And then the reveal for him at the end was we saw that coming. So that's why they gave us the first two episodes for sure. Yeah, and that was a great way to end it with just the cut to Vader in the tank. Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah and so we're going to see Hayden Christensen with like a rubber face, which I can't wait. Which um, is amazing because everybody thought like, oh, Hayden Christensen came back for a flashback or something. Yeah, right. For also, as much oh, as I don't like him as Anakin yeah. in those first three movies, like I thought he was kind of whiny, mm-hmm. but... If he comes back and puts on all that makeup to yeah. do like a couple scenes, all the respect in the world, dude. All the yep. respect in the world to come yep. back for that. Because he's Hayden fucking Christ- Christensen. He can come back and do whatever he wants. He doesn't have exactly. to do this. Right. Uh, I will say, too, the like constantly Obi-Wan reaching out, trying to get time to talk to Qui-Gon. That's going to happen at some point. And like... You know, they, they tease this with it at the start, like, Qui-Gon, are you there? And you're like, oh, man, he's going to pop up. He's going to pop up. So I hope Liam Neeson comes back 
he has to like that's what I, I, i'm more excited about qui-gon showing up for a conversation rather than seeing vader honestly so it's been a really really long time since i've seen the prequels um and I forgot that there's that scene at the end of uh, Revenge. Me too. Where Obi-Wan's like, or not, I'm sorry, where uh, Yoda's like, I could teach you how to reach out to him, blah, blah, blah. And when they said that, I was like, that's pulled out for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> I, I said that too, because when they did that, I'm like, I don't remember that happening in the movies. Katie's like, oh yeah, you don't remember that? I'm like, I don't rewatch these movies that much. And most of the time, no, I, don't I watch the, the good ones. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, Revenge of the Sith is a good one, right? So, um, well, yeah, I mean, I does. watch the old ones usually when I go back to Star Wars. Right, exactly. Um, and occasionally I still go back to uh, Force Awakens because I still stand by that movie. Was yeah, good. Force Awakens is amazing. Um, uh, but yeah, them pulling that scene and then him constantly asking, like, guide me, guide me, Qui-Gon, guide me. So, and Liam Neeson has said in the past that he would come back. He wants to come back to Star Wars. Hell yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Perfect. I think, yeah, I think we leave it there. Uh, I'm happy with how the show is. I'm sad that we already got two out of seven episodes. So uh, we're going to go through them quick, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, but think think about it. This next month is going to be crazy. You already got Stranger Things happening. Mm -hmm. Next week, we're going to have the boys to talk about as well. Oh, yeah. Didn't something else pop next week or next month as well? Am I missing something? I'm not sure. I can't keep track oh, now. Umbrella Academy. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's either that. next month or the beginning of July. I forget. Yeah, now. I think it's July. Yep. So um, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be a good couple months for shows. Yeah. Uh, movie news. Um, the oh, so the Rock. I don't see this on here, but the Rock posted about when we're gonna get the trailer for um for Black Adam. He keeps posting a lot of pictures of himself, like. Um, as Black Adam because they've been doing the reshoots. So he he posted this. Uh, he posted a couple more pictures, um, and he says the trailer will be out on June eighth. So pretty soon. I'm excited that's, for that. That's like a week and a half away. Yeah. So hopefully it's a dope trailer. Um, that's all I'll say about that. Uh, Marvel dropped a new Thor: Love and Thunder trailer, which was sick. Uh, and I couldn't even tell it was Christian Bale at first. <laughs> um Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher. So we're doing the what is it what's the run? Is it the uh the God Killer run or right? Is that what it's called? Something like that. It's basically Jason, Jason Aaron. Aaron's run. Yeah. yeah, which is sick. It looks so good. I cannot wait for this. Yeah, which if you haven't read Jason Aaron's run, it's, it's worth it. It's so good. Yeah, I read the first trade, I just never finished it. It's really good. Yeah, everything there I was happy with. God Butcher looks a little different. I mean, there obviously going to be some differences because the sword that the God Butcher uses is the Necro Sword, which is connected to Venom. I don't uh, think they're going to do that route with it. Okay. But that's fine. That's like a little tiny detail. Um, I lo- Jane Foster looked fantastic. Yeah, I thought she looked great. Um. I think I think you know it's going to be a, a, a great interaction between them. Uh, what else? Oh, we see uh, Thor. We see um, or not Thor? Zeus, right? Is that a yes? Uh, oh yeah, we should talk about the scene that's blown up the internet. What the naked Thor? 
Yeah, so A, a Russell Crowe is going to play Zeus now. Which is awesome. Which is his second MCU role. Is it? He played uh, Ego. No, that's Kurt Russell. Was it? Yeah, Kurt Russell played Ego of the Living Planet. Yeah, they just look alike because they have long hair and beards now. Oh, okay. Right? So they're not the same person. Never no. mind then. Uh, but he did play. He did play <laughs> Jor El in Man of Steel. So he walks between yeah, so, worlds now. So this this movie is full of uh, DC actors coming to do good movies. Jokes, uh, okay. everybody. Jokes, jokes. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, Christian Bale, Batman. There you go. But yeah, yeah Christian. Uh, the the scene that blew up the internet I haven't seen that so what are people saying so yeah we so we get Zeus and um, Jane and Valkyrie are in the background just kind of watching and Zeus mm-hmm. does his little thing rips all of Thor's clothes off and we get a nude scene with Thor yeah um so everybody's freaking out about that yeah, yeah. Here, all that bullshit aside here's two things one I'll be interested to see if they because it's blurred out for the trailer for obvious reasons. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll be interested to see if they blur it out for the movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, the better part of that is if you pay attention, the tattoo he has on his back, mm-hmm. it's a back piece of Loki. Oh, really? Yeah. That's it's a giant back tattoo of Loki, which is phenomenal. <laughs> What the, Loki must have done that to him as like a, like he doesn't he doesn't know that it's there maybe or something like that. That's funny. That's awesome. I'm so excited for this. I I never yeah. in a million years would have thought that Thor would be like one of my favorite characters, but here we are, and yeah. I think this movie's gonna be phenomenal. It's gonna be so good. Yeah. Um, some leaked photos from the set of Blue Beetle movie have given us first look at the Blue Beetle suit. It's pretty much like straight from the comics. Uh, I think it looks pretty good. Um, it's all practical, which is nice to see. He kind of looks like a, a Beetleborg, if anybody remembers that show back in the day. Uh, but yeah, let's see how this let's see how this movie plays out. Not big a bad huge Beetleborg. blue beetle, yeah, big bad Beetleborgs. Um, we'll see how this how this movie plays out. Uh, I'm sure they can make it fun, hopefully. So we'll we'll see. But the suit, I mean, they got me with the suit. It looks good. Um, suit looks phenomenal. All right, yeah. Yeah, and the headpiece too. That doesn't look. I, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to like picture that in live action. Like that might look kind of goofy, but it kind of works. You know. Do you see the rumors too that um, Ted Cord's in this movie? Oh, ah, I did not hear that. That'd be sick. And the guy who plays Ted Lasso is rumored to be playing him. This is like super oh, rumor that's... speculation stuff, but. Uh, okay. I think that'd be cool. Uh, Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, that would be great because he's a great actor. He can do the funny without being funny kind of thing, you know, like trying to be serious, but funny. Um, I can see a Ted Cord like that. Like if that's if that's the route they're going with the Blue Beetle movie, like that sets the tone with him. I'd be down for that because that's almost like a Shazam style. Uh, lightheartedness. I would think. Well, and then if you want to spin him off and do booster and beetle like he would oh, be yeah. perfect in that role oh yeah 
Oh yeah, and then we just got to get someone else. We got to get like uh, a Nathan Fillion for Booster Gold. Oh my god, please! <laughs> That's all I want. I've I've asked for it for years. Maybe one day it'll come true. Um, but You'll yeah, so that looks cool. I'm gonna watch it when it comes out. Let's uh, let's get to this interview that Chris has done with Derek Robertson. I'm gonna drop out, unfortunately, but you know, give him all my love, and we'll see you on the other side. All right, everybody, I've got another very special guest for you. I want everybody to welcome back to the show, the great and powerful Derek Robertson. What's going on, Derek? Hi, how you doing? <laughs> nice to see you again, so it's, Chris. It's nice to see you too, man. Uh, so it's been like about a year, maybe a little more than a year since we talked last time. How's it been since then? How's, uh, I know you said you were jumping back into cons and a few other things. How's all that going I was going to. Yeah, there's a whole lot of COVID going on, so uh, I, luckily I didn't get it, but uh, I was scheduled to do my first convention in two years in Ontario, California last weekend, and uh, I came down with like a horrible chest cold, and I've been vaccinated, I got boosted twice, I got my I, I, and I got my flu shot when I got boosted, so <clears throat> I'm as, uh, and I might start coughing during this because I'm just getting over it, and then I came down with this horrible chest cold where I was wheezing and I couldn't sleep and I was coughing every five minutes and coughing up a lung. And I, I, it was so bad. I got, I tested myself for COVID and it was negative, which I was thankful for. But then I'm like, Oh, but you know, people still get sick with other stuff. There's other illnesses in the air. So I guess it was, I don't know, seasonal or something, but I had to cancel the convention, which was very disappointing. Uh, Cause I was kind of excited to go back and see people again. And uh, I didn't get to. That stinks. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking yeah. forward to getting back into it too. But like you said, yeah, still got to be a little careful. Uh, I had a similar thing recently where I like I got super sick and oh. had a huge headache and everything, and I took like three COVID tests. So I'm like, yeah. oh, now's my time. Yeah, this is. Um, it's not gone. So you know? yeah, it's not, uh, like, so, it's, it's not like this is over. <laughs> I'm still like realizing that even if I do go to convention, I'm probably going to be wearing a mask. But I figured the worst thing that I could do is actually push myself to go to a convention and be sitting there coughing up into a tissue the whole time. Like nobody wants to see that. Like that's not going to make people comfortable. <laughs> they're going to avoid, you know, with COVID still in the air, they're going to be like avoiding my table. So why be there? As somebody with like seasonal allergies and all that. Yeah. When I get like that in my chest and I start coughing just from the allergies, everybody just kind of scatters away from me. Which, as somebody who doesn't necessarily like people all that much, is kind of nice, but at the same time, <laughs> it just shows how people are scared still. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like I said, we got it. It's it's good to be careful, but uh, I, I I'm kind of tired and done with being uh, isolated and not going out in public. And- and yeah, then at the same time, I'm almost scared how much I'm enjoying it. <laughs> like the isolation has <laughs> been good for me creatively. So, you know, I just stay at my table and focus on my work. So there's a part of me that goes, oh, you know, but I'm afraid of being seduced to the dark side of being a hermit. I'm, I'm alone enough as it is. So. I fight that urge every day. <laughs> so you, you talked you talk about uh, creativity. Let's jump into it. Uh, you right. Since we talked, you kind of made the jump over to DC. You've been doing a lot of work with them. Uh, yeah. Awesome covers. Um, you got the Batman book out, um, the digital first one. How's that been yeah. for you? 
I was great. I mean, that was a real dream come true because I got to, you know, I was writing and drawing and I'm not known for my writing. So I was extremely uh, intimidated by putting my writing and art out in the world. I haven't done that, which is weird because I started my career writing and drawing my own stuff and I've written and drawn my own stuff in the past. Um, like a Conan story and some Spider-Man stories, but this one felt bigger than that. And, uh, and I've been a lifelong Batman fan. So, um, my very first superhero, uh, attachment was Batman when I was a kid. Cause I, somebody got me a Mego figure with the removable cowl. And, uh, I, I took that thing with me everywhere. Like it was my teddy bear. So Batman was like my earliest, you know, superhero pal. And uh, so, and then I've always loved the character in general, especially when it went down a darker path, like, you know, Miller in, in the 80s. Uh, I really started to dig it then. And I love Neil Adams and Bernie Wrightson's take on the character, too. So, like, gloomy, uh, intense Batman was always more appealing to me than, like, Super Friends Batman, who seems like a entirely different Batman. <laughs> you know, I always like, you remember those old Super, the Super Friends episodes and, like, they'd be out in the Batmobile and buying apples in the, in the countryside because apples are a healthy snack. And, like, I think Batman's got bigger things to deal with than, uh, you know, I mean, that's kind of a Bruce Wayne taking a break move more than a Batman move, you know? <laughs> Come on, Robin, get in the Batmobile. We got to go buy apples. <laughs> <laughs> Turbine to charge. You know? <laughs> got to get them while they're fresh. But... I um, so I really liked being able to take on uh, writing Batman. It was really fun. I loved getting into his head, and you know, I was happy that it was so well received. People really seemed to like it. It sold well, and uh, I got really good feedback on it, and made me kind of left me itching to get back into uh, writing and drawing more stuff. So that's kind of on my agenda going forward. And in that in that story you dealt with the Riddler, did you have an affinity for Riddler before doing this, or was that just kind of the one that clicked with you? No, I, I actually I always liked um, out of the old Batman TV show, and that kind of one of my things I was going for with the, my story is like I was just trying to slice off a piece of classic Batman. Uh, I wasn't really looking to reinvent the wheel or anything because it's a three chapter story, you know, it, it, sixty pages to tell the whole thing, and. Um, you know, I just thought that if I was going to do it right, um, I, I would have, if I was going to do it right, I, I would just try to be classic with everything. I, I, you know, I did like classic Penguin, I did classic Mr. Freeze and, you know, and then when it came to Riddler. Um, I love Frank Gorshin's Riddler, like from if, if anybody, cause that guy out of everybody on that show, everybody else seemed to know they were being a parody, but Frank Gorshin, man, that guy was like, he gave it 110%. And he was kind of scary. Like, he was, like, he seemed maniacal. Like, I wasn't scared of Cesar Romero's Joker. Uh, I love Burgess Meredith's Penguin just because he looked, and that's kind of what I emulated in the in the comic a little bit. Like, that classic look with the top hat and everything. Um, although I think Colin Farrell killed it in the new movie. I thought the Batman, that Penguin was somebody I'd be afraid of. But, um for Riddler, I thought, you know, and I liked what they did with him currently, like making him like a serial killer. But uh, for me, it's like, and, and this is uh, canon, and that's the only thing, that's the only direction I got on the on the comic was they said, you can do whatever you want, just stay within canon. So, like, I couldn't, you know, do my uh, crazy Alfred story or something like that. I wanted to do, 
uh, you know, I just did a straightforward Batman story. And, and my whole thing was, it's just him fighting his own body. You know, like he, Batman couldn't get, um, you know, Batman is still a human being. And I, that was the whole point of my story is that, you know, he's out, you know, he's, he's about to go home after already being awake for too many hours and he needs to sleep and he's getting sick. And the one thing that he couldn't stop was, you know, inhaling poison gas, you know, so because that's he's a human being. He's not like Superman who could hold it in his lungs and fly it out to space and exhale and be fine. You know, he's he's just a guy at the end of the day, he's super well trained, but you can't wait lift your way out of poison gas. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I thought that was interesting. And also like the idea of like, that's where I had fun getting into Batman's head. Like, you know, he's, he's up on he's on a stakeout watching for towards the end of the story i don't know if you read it but um towards the end he's taking on scarecrow and he's just staking out waiting for this uh, deal to go down but he it's raining like crazy because it's gotham you know and if i was thinking about the rain pounding on that cowl and how that's almost like a drum and that'll like start to put you to sleep and he's already trying to stay awake and he's like nauseous because he can only take you know He's taken a bunch of the antidote, but he sat out there with the Joker for hours with like just a half a dose and, you know, trying to stave off just going into a coma. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I just, but I I love that willpower. Like that's what makes Batman so interesting to me because he can just will himself through things. And that's, you know, that's, he's, he's, he's crazy enough that he took on Superman, you know, like he fist fought Superman. Yeah. <laughs> like what kind of crazy human being would fist fight Superman? Batman would. So it's just like a pure focus, pure power, just willpower, just going through everything. He's got everything he can, all the, all the tech he could afford. He's got his body and mind in peak condition. But at the end of the day, it's just his, it's his tenacity and perseverance that makes Batman Batman. I think that's my thought on it, but. You know, DC paid me to write a story, so I guess I've, I guess my thinking's somewhat clear on this. <laughs> but it was fun. And sorry, getting back to the Riddler. I love the Riddler because uh, he, in canon, he's actually a guy that uh, has kind of waffled between really, is he a villain or does he just kind of have a fetish for getting into trouble? Like, I think he really likes to be more of a shit disturber than he, he doesn't seem to be like a person that really wants to kill or hurt anybody he just kind of gets off on the attention you know at least that's the way i see him in the comics um you know and he can be you know he he does want i I almost think the money is secondary to setting the traps like i think he really just likes setting up the puzzles and you know and i think he likes taking on batman because it's like playing chess for him you know he's trying to see if he can outsmart Batman. Like that's to me, like that's really their connection. Batman's the world's greatest detective. He wants to be the world's greatest puzzler. And so in our, in the story, yeah, I, I took wrote, him as like, Oh, no, please. I was just going to say, I always took him as the guy who like, like, you know, you see like the actually, so in the new movie, they uh, did him after BTK and every and all the, and yeah. the Zodiac killer and everything. I took him as that kind of guy, not as much the killer, but the guy was just like, I want to be known for what I do, and I want to be yeah. famous for the craft that I do. And the craft I do is making these weird, elaborate puzzles and leaving riddles for people to catch me. Yeah, and I think that that's, that makes him, 
and it makes them fun to write too. But in uh, in my story, uh, I wanted to have I wanted to humanize them a little bit, and also I got I kind of fell in love with creating a sidekick for him the way Joker had Harley. I created Quiz, and actually that's been the that was probably the doing that Joker. The whole point of my original story was just going to be leading up to that uh, scene on the barge with Joker and Batman. And that's, that was going to be the whole thing. And uh, my editor came back Hank canals came back and said, I really love your pitch. Can you bring in more villains? And I was like, Oh man, I go, well, can I have 60 pages instead of 30? And he said, yes. And I said, well, that's like someone saying, do you want extra, extra large pizza? <laughs> like, well, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, so bringing in more villains was fun. And that's when I got the idea to create, like a sidekick for the Riddler. And so I was really happy that that's out in, in the world now. And um, I think that that's a lot of fun in the, um, in the grand scheme of things that uh, she's actually part of the DCU. Now they act, they wrote her into a, a Valentine's day thing. So my character has already had a second life outside of me. So that was, and they called and they wrote me to say, Hey, we'd like to run this by you. Do you think what would her, what's her real name? And would she do this? And I'm like, Oh, thank you for asking this. Well, you created her. And I'm like, that's why I like DC. I've had experiences in yeah, the past with I've other heard. companies where they just take your creation and it's like you're an afterthought. And DC actually, you know, even checked in with me to like make sure that I got, you know, her real name was what I chose. And, so, because that was nice. I'd like to do yeah, more. Somebody who's a big Marvel too. fan, I have heard that they do that. Yeah, it's. Um, I haven't had that experience with every company I've worked with or created. So, um, but I did uh, the worst being Malibu Ultraverse, where I created, wrote, and drew a character called Ripfire, and it was supposed to be my own ongoing series. And then the company started to have trouble, and the Marvel bottom, and then they went away. And, uh, but at the, the only thing that I had about that character, I said, I was real clear. I'm like, he would never join a justice league. He's not that kind of a guy. He, he's an alien in a human body and he's independent. He wouldn't understand how to relate to a team of people with superpowers. Uh, so he's more like daredevil. He's kind of like, he might interact, but he's really off on his own, doing his own thing all the time. And they were like, and that was my plot. And I was going to, I had a whole story laid out that I never got to tell. And then they brought him into Ultraver, or Ultra Force, which is a book that I actually worked on with Warren Ellis. Uh, they didn't have me draw the issues, uh, but they brought him into Ultra Force and they killed him. <laughs> I didn't even get to draw his death. And I was like, uh, and I'm like, what is he doing in Ultra Force? <laughs> it was wrong. It was like somebody like, it was like seeing somebody walking your dog, you know? <laughs> It's like, and that's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I named him Skippy. No, his name's Butch. What are you doing? But you know, it was it was that was uh, that was that was a head shaker. But um, yeah, I, so it was nice that, that DC was a lot, lot more, um, much more cool to work with. And I've really been enjoying working with them the past year. And uh, like I said, going from I got to roll basically out of. Uh, Legends into I think I did Hellblazer after, and then I and then with Tom Taylor, I did uh, Hellblazer Rise and Fall for the Black Label, and that was a lot of fun. And then I went from that to Batman Fortress, which has been great. Gary Wood and I are good friends, and 
we did a book called Oliver for Image uh, that I never, I didn't get to finish because it wasn't selling. I have to go back when I can basically afford to draw for free, I guess. But, um, uh, but so doing Fortress has been great because it's been an opportunity for us to uh, collaborate on, you know, big DCU characters. It's kind of a first for Gary. You know, he wrote Star Wars and now he's writing Batman. So that's been uh, that's been terrific. And he's been a lot of fun to collaborate with. And then Abernathy has been awesome. We just kind of we get a lot of a lot of free reign to just do what we want to do. And it's it's, it's been really great. Yeah, and that being a black label book, you're outside of continuity for that. So how does that, for you two, how does that work for you? Do you just feel like you can kind of do whatever? Or do you still feel like you want to ground it inside of what people know in terms of the character yeah, in the world? It's Fortress is not a black label book, but it is more like um, what they used to have, uh, like when they, like Gotham by Gaslight. It was like a standalone, um, I think it was all called Other Worlds or something like that. But they don't even have a label for it. Yeah. And it's, um, but it's, it's just, it's, um, it's just straight DC. It's, it's not actually on the black label. It's just straight from DC, but we kind of created our own sort of continuity. Like it's a little, it's out of continuity. It doesn't have anything to do with what's happening over in detective or anything like that. And, um, it's just, and Gary is almost drawing a bit from the cinematic universe for this and there's going to be and we're going to tell a story that has you know it's going to change up uh, it's a totally different take on superman and what his origins are and there's going to be a lot of uh surprises along the way because it's it's sort of independent to itself it's like our our story is sort of self-contained so we kill people (laughs) (laughs) people will die we kill people that aren't die that aren't going to be dead in the dcu so so the the first issue just came out um, last week as we're, as we're going to launch this. Um, and I don't want to spoil too much because I want everybody to go out and check it out. We talk about it on the main show. But you did get a chance in this issue to kind of set the stage for the story. And you got a lot of cool moments with different villains in it as well before kind of yeah. setting it where it needs to be. Um did you guys like plan out the the villains that you wanted to do? Was that did you decide? To, you know, how did that whole sequence come about for you guys? That was it's just really. I feel like with Legends on the Dark Knight, when I was writing myself, I got to really just play with the toy box the way I wanted to. And this feels to me more like Gary's debut in the DCU because he hasn't really written a whole lot for mainstream comics, and so I really am following his lead and letting him. Like we talked about everything, we collaborated. I, you know, the original plot was something we co-plotted together like years ago. We talked about doing this, this story about Batman breaking into the Fortress of Solitude, and um, it, and it kind of grew. But then Gary took this, and it, you know, he's taken it in his whole original direction because he's a really smart guy. Um, but I kind of wanted Gary just to have as much fun as he wanted to have. So I'm sort of following his lead. He wanted the whole first issue set in Gotham, but then it just goes bananas from there. It's like the, the rest of the series is not in Gotham. It's, it's, uh, there's all, it, it goes, it, it becomes a worldwide uh, thing where he's recruiting people and, you know, there's a whole lot that's, it, a whole lot that's going to happen that I don't want to spoil, but it, it, it becomes a much crazier story like from the jump of issue two that's it goes from like he just wanted to like 
Gary wanted to start the story like a movie and because he's a screenwriter. And so you kind of feel that. So he ended up making all of chapter one, kind of like the first 10 minutes of a film. So, because uh, then it's going to take off and go all over the place in the next two hours, you know. Uh, so he's, the first issue's grounded. He wanted to ground it. He wanted to, he also had an itch to kind of write a straight Batman story. Like, you know, because the story's called, you know, it's Batman Fortress. It's not Justice League Fortress. But it's Batman, so he's trying to ride it back to Batman as in as many ways as he can. But he also, so so he wanted to start it out as a Batman story, and so that's why you get crime fighting and catching the Joker and catching the Penguin, stuff like that. But after that, it kind of becomes it becomes a much larger scope. But then it's interesting because his take on an alien invasion is not, I don't think, is going to be at all what people are expecting. I think awesome. what people so, are picturing is it's not it's not going to be what people are picturing. It's a totally different take on what an alien invasion means. So two things that popped up about the art and um, this first issue, as I was talking with people I know and friends and everything. One for me personally, how much do you love drawing Commissioner Gordon? Because for some <laughs> reason, I was so drawn, no pun intended, to your Commissioner Gordon. Like, I, I, I sat Gordon. at that pe- that first panel for a while. Like, he just did such a great job with it. <laughs> oh, thank you. That means a lot. I, I wrote Gordon in as a major character in my own story, too, in Legends. Uh, he keeps going back and forth. I think uh, I love Commissioner Gordon. I think ever since uh, Batman Year One, where uh, Miller and Mazzucchelli really fleshed out the character and gave him such a deep personality. Um, I remember back in 1989 uh, watching the Burton film and being pissed off that Gordon was such a throwaway character in that he seemed more like uh, the commissioner on the old Batman TV show who was useless. Him and, you know, they played him for laughs with uh, Sergeant O'Hare, you know, like, they, they, oh, you know, they, they're just reacting to things. I like, I like that Jim Gordon in the reality of the comics is like the one good cop in, in Gotham and he's like the lich between them and, and all of it falling into chaos and to the point that he's like he trusts the vigilante in a mass more than he trusts his own people you know that's fascinating to me it's like he's like Serpico but he's the commissioner and uh, and I just I think he's great I like the way Gary's take on him was terrific too where he's taking heart pills and you know he's he's that he's even in the midst of chaos he's up there making sure he's on top of everything and uh the fact that he has batman's respect uh i think that says volumes about the character you know batman will follow you know like if if commissioner says don't do this or this is a mistake he'll listen you know he doesn't and you know batman doesn't really listen to anybody so the fact that he listens and confides in jim but then doesn't even trust him enough to let him know who he is i think is interesting i think he does now in canon but you know, in general, like in my world, like it's funny too because, like, one of the things I hate about a lot of the Batman films and uh, loved about this one, uh, the new the Batman, is that Batman is like real fast to take off his mask with everybody in the cinematic universe and you know tell people like in in the first in the first Batman, the Burton one, like fucking Alfred lets Vicky Vale into the Batcave and to see Bruce sitting there. And I'm like, no, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> that would be grounds for firing, if not assassination. You know, like, I'm sorry, now both of you are dead. <laughs> I don't think Batman, you know, he doesn't kill, but I wouldn't put it past him. 
you know, uh, you know, I think that's a choice, <laughs> but, but I don't end up in a million years. Like the one person I know that Batman trusts not to do such a boneheaded move, like let a reporter into the Batcave, it would be Alfred. I'm sorry. You've known this woman two weeks and yeah, you're the, you're a great judge of character. Like, no, no, he doesn't. He's getting laid as Bruce Wayne. Keep it that way. Just le- let that be. <laughs> He's got his romance side. That's the Batman headquarters. The two should not meet. You know, it's Batman's choice if he decides to let Vicky Vale into the Batcave. Not Alfred's, no. So, um, but that's the first time. And then in the second one, oh, you're a crazed woman, uh, dresses up as a cat with whips and is causing chaos in Gotham. First thing I'm going to do, rip off my mask and show you on Bruce Wayne, because clearly you can be trusted. <laughs> like he does that at the end of Batman Returns. He yeah. reveals himself to. In front of the penguin who's dying, to be fair, sorry, the spoilers from 1990. It's, but, it's um, because Bruce Wayne's kinky. It's fine. Yeah, well, you know, I wouldn't put, uh, I'm, I'm not making any judgments. I'm just saying tactically, not the way Batman rolls. That's that's my, as a fan, as somebody who could say I've written them, as someone who understands canon, Batman doesn't reveal himself to anybody. He's even got fail saves within the Justice League to make sure they don't know who he is. And so... Um, you know, and then by issues or the third movie, Batman Forever, which is you know beginning to the end of that franchise, but um, you got Batman at a circus with a crowd of people, and then Two Face shows up with a bob, like I'm gonna blow this up unless somebody tells me who the Batman is, and just now, Batman, Bruce Wayne would go, you know, Vicky Vale would the, the real scenario in my opinion would have been vicky vale turning and saying bruce what are we gonna do and he's just gone yep. like he's just disappeared and then batman shows up and starts punching you know and diffusing a bomb while he's punching that's batman no this batman in that movie val kilmer stands up and goes harvey in a crowded stadium i'm batman <laughs> like i could think of a better way to do that like so what, what is happening here <laughs> so anyway then it, it, it i'm not even going to talk about batman and robin because why would anybody but um yeah i i just yeah i i think batman's the kind of person who uh i, I think the secret identity is a big deal so he should be you know the fact that he doesn't even trust jim with the secret identity should say how much he's protective of that well that whole sequence made me think that gary was a big animated series fan because that's the Batman he was. I grew he up is, on. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that's that's still the, the gold standard and I, I still think the best yeah. Batman movie is Mask of the Phantasm. Correct. It, and it's not it's not considered part of that rollout, but man, that movie came out, got no attention, and it's the best written Batman film. And it's a tight screenplay too. It's like that's yeah. still the best Batman movie in my opinion. And just the fact that he had that moment on the, the roof and uh I hope this isn't a big spoiler. I don't think it is because it's a two panel thing, but the interaction with Bullock, I was just yeah. sitting there going like this dude knows the animated series. He he's lived in, yeah. I can tell. I really liked Ron Bullock too. Like the, he's a great, like I said, when I talk about that, uh, Gordon being Serpico and how he's like just one degree from even being able to trust his own men, you know, at the top of that shit pile is Bullock. You know, I, I you know, Bullock's going to betray somebody at some point. Just it just seems like it's in his nature. 
So the other thing that came up, um, and this is done very lovingly, but uh, my my normal co-host who can be here today um, mentioned the chin of justice. <laughs> so how did you come chin. about having that nice button uh, buttoned up chin? That's he's that's just I, that's just Batman one hundred and one. I mean, every like you look at Brave and the Bold, his chin's like this, you know. Yeah. Every exact every caricature of Batman always shows this massive chin. That's just who he is. I mean, he's got a whole his face is all but covered otherwise. So you know, the chin's got to really be his lower face has to be something. Exactly. The chin of justice. <laughs> I like to think of him like Chuck Norris. Behind that chin is another fist. You, know? <laughs> you can't be Batman and have a glass straw. Like, no. You gotta be able to take a few. Exactly. That chin, could take, that chin could take a beating. I'm always amazed how unscarred this part of his face is, considering that's the only exposed part of him, that somehow he's managed to still keep it like Bruce Wayne beautiful. <laughs> So you got to add the scene now where he's putting the makeup on. Oh, no, can't have the. Oh, I just figured he's a billionaire. <laughs> yeah, I was. I even wrote that into the like at the end of my legend story. Like he's just thrashed. Like he can barely stand, and uh, to the point that he's like Alfred is shocked. You know, so he. he uh, but I figured, in, and then Alfred, I wrote it in there. Where he's like, "Well, I'll you know, we're going to take you to the hospital tomorrow with a story of a hunting accident gone bad." Uh, to explain this, but I figured that that's he can afford, you know, Bruce Wayne's super rich, so he can afford all the plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery necessary to maintain his beautiful chin. <laughs> Maybe it's chin envy. So, I don't okay. have much but chin. So. That's why I grew this out, is because to it's, hide the chin, it gives me my own version of it. Exactly. <laughs> Now I'm just trying to hide my second one. So. <laughs> That's another thing too. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so Batman Fortress coming out monthly uh, from DC. This it's a six issue, right? Six issues. Series? Eight issues. Eight, Eight issues. issues. Yeah, I'm just starting drawing number five right now. So I got okay, a. So I got. I got a little behind last year, but uh, I think I'm going to be able to keep it coming out monthly. And are you still doing um, covers for DC as well? I know you're doing some. I for am. A while I did. There. I, I did uh, last ride uh, for Justice League. I think right now they're leaving me alone uh, from offering me anything more because I'm so focused on Batman Fortress and I'm penciling and inking each issue and doing a cover and sometimes two covers for each issue. So you know, my focus right now is just I want to keep Fortress on time and and not have to tap in an inker to help me or anything i'd like to just do all i'd love to have eight issues just me you know and yeah, on the art awesome so before we let you go we gotta ask the question this week the boys season three is coming out how are you feeling about boys season three i'm excited um as i was telling you before we started recording uh seasons one and two uh i got to go be on set and I read the screenplays and I, I kind of knew what I was in for. And with COVID, uh, they had to keep the set closed and you couldn't travel. I couldn't travel to Canada. So uh, when they were filming everything, I had to stay home and I had the screenplays and I started to read them. And then I realized 
itself. I can't actually see them filming it. Uh, it might be more fun to just go in cold like everybody else. So I have an idea of what's going to happen. I know some surprises, but um, I can't talk about. But at the same time, I decided I'm going to watch it with my friends and family when it debuts this uh, this weekend or next weekend and, and just sort of like let it unroll for me as if I'm just a fan. Because, I mean, what's really great about the show is that as awesome as it is, they've taken it their own direction, you know, and so it's its its, its own universe now uh, compared to the comics. So they always find a way to steer back into the comics, and I know that's important to Eric Kripke because he's told me, but at the same time, they're really building out their own set of characters, and, you know, Soldier Boy was a throwaway character in our story, so he's going to be a major character in this season. Jensen Ackles looks incredible, and I'm excited to see what he does, and just knowing that the boys is where he's reuniting with Kripke for uh, another series. That's pretty exciting in and of itself because I'm surrounded by Supernatural fans. Um, so and my, and my my kids love the show. And so it's a big deal that Jensen Ackles is showing up. And he's a great guy. I got to meet him at the Emmys. Uh, we got nominated for an Emmy last year for Best Series, which was mind-blowing. And so I got to go down and be part of the celebration and see everybody and that was the last time i saw you know saw most of the people involved with the boys was at the emmy party but um it was last february but it's uh i'm hoping to get back up to toronto for season four but we'll see what happens i'm not sure you know the world is an unpredictable place right now so <laughs> i try not to plan too far ahead anymore well it shocked me told me that because i was uh... Thinking to myself, the as I was trying to think about what we could talk about this week, I'm like, "There's no way Derek missed the Hero Gasm episode. There's no way." No, I, I couldn't be there, and so <laughs> I, I just, I just know they're doing it. I haven't actually decided not to read it. Like, I'm going to be surprised and shocked with everybody else. So. Well, that's great. And it's not yeah. like I sit in the writers' room, you know, under the best of circumstances. I'm a, you know, everybody on the the. Everybody's super friendly, and uh, it's great to, you know, I, I've, I've made some uh, good relationships with the people who work on the show, but it's not like I go in and, and throw out ideas or, you know, anything. It's like that's not my not my place in all of this. I support, but they, they're really, they, you know, I did artwork for the show this season, so if you keep your eyes peeled, you see some artwork by me in the backgrounds, which is fun. I can't yeah, say that. where or why, but... <laughs> I think I told you this last time. I'll tell you again anyways. Uh, this is one of those shows that me and my father watched together. Oh, and nice. when I heard they were doing Herogasm, because I had read the comics, he had not. When yeah. I heard they were doing it, I was like, I can't wait for that episode because I'm not even going to watch the episode. I'm just going to stare right at my father the whole time and see what his reaction <laughs> to this. And again, I don't know how they're handling it. Because he told me I season only... one was so fucked up he had to keep watching. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's fucked up. Um, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. <laughs> Because even Kripke was like, I can't believe they're letting me do Her Herogasm. And I can't take uh, a whole lot of credit for Herogasm. I only supplied the covers. That's really John McRae breaking all kinds of rules. Because I remember early on, uh, Ennis and I were talking, and he was like, whenever showing exposed penises, okay? And I'm like, fine with me. You know, I kind of wanted to keep sort of a barrier on what we were doing. And then I get Herogasm, it's like, McRae loves drawing, you know, the giblet scene. <laughs> <laughs> he 
he likes to he likes to let it all hang out like so because they used to do a book called dicks together which was a uh these two filthy crazy private eyes and that thing was you know makes the boys look tame and john mccray just he just went his own way with the uh, hero gasm so <laughs> Well, Robert, I want to thank you so much for being on. Did we miss anything that you're working on? Um, I think you just called right me now? Robert. <laughs> I'm sorry, Derek. That's okay. <laughs> I'm keeping that in so everybody knows I make mistakes too. It's a, Derek, Robert did we Derek. miss anything you're working on? <laughs> I think you wanted to talk about Space Bastards. Well, so, Oh, yeah. So, yeah, last time we talked the first – half i guess of space bastards came out um since then the second has released yeah um issues what six through 12 if i remember correctly yeah I'm, i i did uh like i was i think they broke it up differently for humanoids so i'm not even entirely sure how it got released i did about 205 pages plus covers of the whole thing and it kind of they they, they brought the whole thing kind of to me uh pretty well baked and then i went in and kind of got under the hood with them and i you'd redesigned some things and i made some suggestions and we changed up some pacing places just you know just to i don't know make it what it became which was a lot of fun and i would change up their page turns and you know stuff like that like and uh eric and joe very talented really fun guys and uh they had, this was their baby. Like they, they've been working on this thing for ages. So by the time I got involved, you know, they were like, you know, they, they made a puppet of me. I don't know if you've seen the puppet. But I have they, not seen the puppet. No, there's a Muppet version of me that they take to conventions because I couldn't be there because of COVID. <laughs> so they built the, they made a, and they got a little, uh, if you look on YouTube, there's a, a Kickstarter thing that they did uh, where they, do the origin of how we all met and it's you know they got me as a muppet in a bathroom stall and they cost me while i'm taking a dump so <laughs> it talked me into talked me into drawing their comic but uh didn't happen quite that way but i like their story better and i like looking at the muppet more than i like looking at myself so i'm a big muppet fan <laughs> that's fantastic but they're uh but it's a good it's a good uh it's a really fun story and i i those characters, I kind of have a soft spot for those characters now because, you know, if I design something and then have to draw it over and over again, I kind of have to, they start to come alive in my brain, like as people, because I have to think about how they breathe and look and turn and cough and stuff like that, you know. Is it like that classic artist image where it's your head exploding and then like all of the Space Bastard characters are coming out? Oh, that's a pretty cool image. No, I, I didn't. It's more like I'm in, a, I'm in an imaginary room with them. You know, it's like I, I'm, I'm interacting with them as if they're people in a room. Like I, you know, I imagine what they'd be doing if I looked to my left and Zordak was there, you know, kicking his butt and Leroy having a smoke over by the coffee machine, you know, that kind of thing. Davy Proton working on something on his phone without telling anybody. Manny eating an entire, you know, having a whole table of food to himself and growling at anybody that tries to get near it like a dog. You know? 
don't know. I see that's that's how they live in my brain. And like I said, they're with Batman, Batman as well. It's like like I just go down to the Batcave and watch him work. And then I put it on paper that's the that's the like skit we got to do the Who Framed Roger Rabbit skit of you in a room <laughs> with all these characters that you drew. Uh, I like that. Like, I, yeah, I did I, just I, when I was in a, and when I was a teenager, um, I used to fill up these sketchbooks incessantly. And one of the things that I loved about doing that was uh, I, I just I sort of like I, I didn't realize this was even this thing had a name. <clears throat> Here comes my cold. Excuse me. <clears throat> Um, I didn't realize this thing had a, a name, but I guess it's called manifestation. So, and I didn't know there was a whole practice around it. I was just entertaining myself. So, um, but what I did is I would draw, like I put uh, on my first sketchbook, like I wrote like the artwork of Derek Robertson, like it was a big deal, you know? And I was nobody, I was just a freshman in high school. And, uh, but it, it was sort of like, I'm going to, I'm going to be somebody, you know, like it was, it was my, it was dreaming, you know, I like, I figured if I, if I, but what, but by manifesting, it's like, if you create something, sometimes it, you bring something into reality and it starts things moving in a direction that you can, it becomes like, kind of like cracking the ice on something that you can uncover. Uh, you can think about it, but if you actually make something, then it begins, you know, it starts to become something more. And, I could say from that sketchbook in my, when I was 10, I created a comic book called Nightwind and uh, Nightwind was my first superhero uh, that I drew a comic book of. And it was just stapled together paper, you know, that I, but I went in and I did the like cover treatise and the price. And I tried to make it look as much like a real comic book as I could, because I wanted to draw a real comic book so badly at 10 years old that that was just me living my fantasy, you know, and uh, just like, you know, if you put on a cape and a mask and you ride around real fast on your bike, you can pretend you're Batman on a bat cycle, you know, it was the same kind of thing for me. So I drew and wrote a whole story, but I realized that from that stapled together comic book, I can do a straight line to my present day career, you know, 40 years later. And because one thing just led to another. I just kept on the path of trying to wanting to make a real comic book. And eventually I did. By the time I was 17, I had published Space Beaver, which I'd written and drawn. And, um, you know, that that was, you know, and then that was just another step towards wanting to draw Batman. And I have a lot of, uh, so I have a lot of, my sketchbook was full of X-Men and, you know, stuff like that. The things that I loved reading at the time. And so, Imagining myself as a professional comic book artist, I was thinking about how every comic book artist, I, like, I think, uh, I mean, definitely Jack Kirby has one of these pieces, but I think Ramita had one too, where they're out there bored, but all the characters are like either leaping off the board uh, around them or hanging out with them and leaning on them. Uh, John Byrne had a drawing that he did of all the characters he had worked on, just hanging around the, the art board with him. And, uh, and I love that. So I drew, I did one. I had a handful of characters at that point that I created in high school. And so I drew all those characters around me and me, you know, as a teenager, like with them all hanging out, you know, but uh, none of that. I didn't do anything with a single one of those. <laughs> like they all just live in my, they just, they, they only exist in my sketchbooks because is where they probably belong. But uh, I do have some plans for Nightwind though. 
for the future. So I have something coming up. Uh, hopefully, it'll see it all the way through. But I'm going to do something night wind in the future. I was going to say that'd be cool for you to go full circle and like maybe. That's what I wanted. That's that's it. what I'm thinking. Yeah, I have a whole thing where uh, I can't talk about it too much. I think at this point, until all the contracts are signed and the thing is actually scheduled. But I I, I, I want to go back and revisit that original story that I did back in 1979 and draw it with all my present day skills and, you know, and the, just to show them side by side. Cause I think that's fun. I, I love that kind of thing. Like I, I did a, I have a character, my very, very first superhero. This is kind of a fun thing. And forgive me if I told you this last time, but my very, very first superhero that I ever created was like, a uh, character named Eagle Eyes, and to this day, I have no idea what his powers actually are. Um, but I just, but I was just drawing my own superhero, and it was the first time. I still have this drawing, believe it or not, it surfaced in a bunch of stuff that my mom had kept. Thank you, mom. Um, but it was a picture. But it was the first time I I had drawn a superhero. Uh, you know, and I terrible drawing, but um, most of the time. You know, if I drew a human figure, it was just kind of like staring straight at the camera with their arms out at their sides. You know, that's the standard pose most people would draw somebody doing something. Uh, this was the first time, like, I thought to pivot him. So I have, like, his arm back here like this, and uh, he's kind of looking up this way. And and it's something about it, like, a spark went off with that drawing. Like, I'm like wait, I, I, I just sort of cracked the code of making something look foreshortened or three-dimensional. Like, hey, if I put the arm behind the body, then it looks like there's a little bit of depth there. You know, I'm 10, <laughs> I'm nine, maybe, you know, just a kid. And so, uh, but I figured out something there. And, and it. Uh, so every once in a while, I'll go back and I'll just draw eagle eyes just for fun. Last time I did was, in, I think, 2019 when the boys season one was coming out because I was like, this is a good time to, take a just take a me break and just draw something for the fun of drawing it because i'm not doing anything with eagle eyes but what was really crazy is the very first drawing i did of eagle eyes he's actually shooting beams out of his eyes this way and his head's kind of his eyes and his head is, are glowing and i'm like and then when they started doing the pr release the big massive push for the boys season one uh there's this building on the side. Brian Michael Bendis was in a, I guess was in a meeting or something because he got a great shot of the, of the building and he sent it to me. And it's a shot of Homelander. It took up the entire building on 42nd Street, I think it was, in New York. And it's the entire building. And uh, Homelander, who's a character I designed and co-created, and he's shooting beams out of his eyes. And I'm like, that's a weird full circle that my very first character and then to, you know, worldwide promo release. I saw it above the Trevi fountain in Italy. It was in a, they had it in London and people were sending me pictures from all over. showing, Hey, the advertising, the boys and every shot was like Homelander shooting beams out of his eyes, not unlike the way Eagle eyes was. So, I thought that was strange, and but I've gone back and drawn Eagle Eyes a couple of times just because I love to show that evolution. You know, I like to show kids my kid drawings because I want them to understand that I didn't just wake up one day and you know have the ability to draw like I draw now. Um, I I was really terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I've spent basically the last four decades trying to be less terrible than that. 
you know, and I still don't like looking at my own stuff that much, but, um, you know, it's better than it was. So, and, and I'm happy I, I get, I've been seeing comments about uh, Fortress where, in, including from Gary, who's like, this is career best work. This is next level for Derek. And I love that because I if I don't see it or feel it, that's okay. But if I hear it from the outside, then I know that I'm still on that path that I started when I was talking about manifesting from drawing that little Nightwind comic book that's stapled together. It's like, I'm still on that path of trying to be the artist that I want to be or dream of being. And I see so many more people around me that are so talented that I just go, I don't even know why I get to play in that field with them, but I'm just happy that I do. You know, I don't, my ego's not that wrapped up in it. It's really just a matter of trying to get to that next level just for my own satisfaction. My favorite artist in the world is still Brian Molland, and I'll never be as good as he is. That guy's, <laughs> I have an original cover of his that hangs over my board, and I still look at it, and it's like, his line is so deaf, and, and there's, like, you can't see any correction fluid on the piece at all. Like, I don't know how, that's not human to me. Like, my stuff is, if you see my originals, it's like I have to go back and fix stuff and correct it with whiteout. You know, it's like, I just... That's just how I work, but I, like, I look at that and I go, oh, and a legend has left us with, you know, George Perez, and I look at George's stuff and how detailed it was, and he was somehow doing that on a monthly schedule. I just, it just boggles my mind. <laughs> and on that note, here's to you, George. Yes. I've been George sharing around, I've been sharing around this image that, um, I don't know if you know David Pose, um, We've no, I've known him for years, and he just got his first deal at Marvel. And he's oh, been sharing know, this thing around where it's him. him as a kid drawing his favorite superheroes. And it's all oh. it's Spider-Man, Captain America, and everything. And it's the most adorable like little kid drawing of superheroes. And then right next to it, he puts the first issue of Savage Avengers that he just put out last month. And I've been sharing that. Be like, people, this is like, it can happen. This is what it is. This little kid who dreamed of playing with uh, these superheroes is now doing it. Yeah. That's, so it, I like it, that the same idea with you. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, you can see in the background here that, uh, you know, I love my action figures. And that's just part of me trying to keep the, the part of me alive, like, that I that wants to do this. It's I, I almost have to be surrounded by this stuff because... Every time I look up, I feel that little twinge of inspiration. Like, I feel that, like, you know, it's amazing to me that I got to write Batman. Like, that if you told me in, in 1989 when I was, you know, Space Beaver was my only paying work and I was taking on commissions like crazy to just try to, you know, feed myself and not have to go back to, and then I still had day jobs and stuff. But, um, you know, all I wanted to do was just get paid to do this for a living and not have to do anything else. And, uh, you know, there's little times, there's moments where I go, oh shit, there's a TV show. <laughs> That's my stuff <laughs> in it. And I see my name on the TV show and I go, wow, I've come a long way from not being able to afford Taco Bell. And, you know, and I got, and it's the same thing where it's like, I, every time I get an action figure or something like that, that I bought with money that I made from drawing comics, I feel like I'm getting away with something. I feel like I've, I've cheated the system somehow because I can buy an action figure that I really want with the money that I made drawing Batman. 
I bought a Batman from drawing Batman. <laughs> like there's something <laughs> about it, you know, like there's something about like when I got this hat, I'm like, <laughs> I bought this hat with money I made drawing Batman. <laughs> I guess I'm just giving it back into the system, but you know, it, I like that there's something about that that makes it, I don't know, the little kid in me. I remember when I was in, in 1995 when things were uh, around then, the, I guess, you know, this is more like 92 or 93, but when things were going really good uh, in comics and uh, you know, I was working at Marvel at the time, drawing a Spider-Man thing and getting a lot of work and I was young and single and, you know, I could do whatever I wanted to. I had my own place finally and uh, I was at a FAO Schwartz in San Francisco and there was a life-size Yoda from this company called Elusive Concepts. They made these uh, life. They made life-size Yoda, but it was made of this material that deteriorates, which kind of sucks. But I didn't know about that at the time. And uh, but I thought it was on display there because it was on loan from this uh, Star Wars museum that was traveling around with props. I thought it was on loan or something that they were showing it off to get people to come to the museum exhibit and then i found out no it had a price tag and you could own this yoda and it was like 500 dollars, which was you know a lot then too <laughs> and uh but i went home and i thought about it and i went if i could lean over the seat in 1980 to 10 year old derek or 12 11 year old derek robertson like watching the Empire Strikes Back for the first time and seeing Yoda for the first time and just going, oh my God, this is the greatest movie ever. And, I could, and lean in and go, hey, when you're in your 20s, they're going to be selling a life-size Yoda and you could buy it with the money you're making drawing Spider-Man. I would have just wet myself. I would have been like, I had it. You know, and if I told you, and you're going to second guess whether or not you're going to buy that Yoda. You have the money. You can do it. It won't hurt. You'll still make rent. But and I'd be like, what are you, crazy? You have to buy it. Like, I don't know. 11-year-old me would have kicked my own ass. You know, <laughs> You have to get it. This is what we're about. This is what we do this for. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about fame. It's about life-size Yodas. My yeah. dream still is my, my dream someday is that Somewhere over there or wherever background I'm in when I can finally do it. Just give me that life-size Boba Fett. I've wanted that thing for years. But now it's like eight grand. I might just build one rather than spend the eight grand. But it's like it cracks me up that, like, you know, I don't want a Ferrari. I don't, you know, try to think about, you know, nicer property. But I, I, I just really want that life-size Boba Fett. <laughs> like that's more important to me than like a fancy car or anything. And I don't have room for it. I don't even know why the fuck I want it now. It's like, where am I going to put it? It's going like, to be like having a roommate, you know? But After owning my own house, number, a, a strong number two is that old um, Lego Millennium Falcon set, that they, like the giant oh. one they made. Yeah, I have. I, somebody gave that to us. I don't know if I have all the pieces, but most of them. But somebody like gave that to us like years ago. Like back when it came out, they like, oh, my kids are done with the Legos and we know you guys like them because I had kids at the time. 
and they were like, oh, do you like them? And, uh, you know, he, we didn't put them together. So here's the Millennium Falcon set. My wife put all the parts in, in little dishes, and then there was an earthquake, and some of it spilled out. But um, I think we still have – we never built it, but that's the, we have that. And I, like, I keep thinking, like, I think even loose, that's probably pretty valuable. Yeah. I – I'd be shaking because as a kid, I remember seeing that and be like, "This is the greatest thing ever." Yeah. <laughs> now I, you can get a Lego I, of anything. No, I know. I'm. It's funny for me. It's like the Legos. Like I'm a visual guy, so like the thing that drives me crazy is like you know, like this big imperial walker. Like I love that guy. Like, can you see him? I'm, I'm not yeah. Sure you, yeah. Yeah. This guy. You know, because you can open him up, and put the guys inside, and you know, has a little speeder bike in the back. And I think like that for me, cause it looks visually accurate. Like that's what drives me crazy. So when I see the little bumps all over the Lego stuff, I'm like, it's got all those little bumps. <laughs> like, like I need it to look like I could, you know, if I could shrink myself, I could get inside it and walk around, you know, cause that would be cool. Oh, there's something about the visual aspect of Legos and it might just be, you know, the generational difference here, but that I've always really enjoyed because I had I had all the Legos growing up and that's awesome. Like I remember when my my big present for Christmas was the non-specific spaceship Lego before they did all these like cool Legos. Yeah, I remember and the greatest I, I, thing. So when well, they I came think... out with the Seinfeld Lego set, as a thirty-three-year-old man, I ran straight to the Lego store and I bought. I didn't even know they made that. Is it his apartment? Yes, it's the apartment. Oh, that's cool. You get we got like the it's got little house. knickknacks in it too. So you got like <clears throat> the Festivus pole and all different kinds of cool things. It's oh, really that's awesome, fun. So. We we bought the Simpsons house, which I really enjoyed. I was like, but I I'm, I think they're great. I mean, when I was a kid, um, I actually had an old suitcase that my and and I but that's when and it was full of Lego parts and I used to play with them like crazy. In fact, my punishment was they take them away if I didn't put them away or I was being punished like they take away my Legos, but. What's weird for me is that it was because they were this uh, blank canvas of imagination mm-hmm. to build with that it was it, it seemed weird to me when they said, well, you have to build this thing with them now. And then it became like that to me was more like a puzzle than it was creating something. Uh, you know, like I used to, I was a person that, you know, if you gave me a box of wooden blocks, I would build a fortress out of them and put my action figures on that was the kind of thing that like I like the building and the creating of things so like to me having an assignment it almost took the fun out of it for me like now I have to make it look like that thing and I'm not thinking creatively I'm just following an instruction manual like I'm putting together Ikea furniture you know hence hence why my apartment's filled with Ikea furniture (laughs) (laughs) mine is too don't don't get me wrong that shelf back there that's Ikea (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's, I don't know, there's always been something for me personally of following the instructions step by step and you build this thing and like, yeah. then you have it. And it's like, nobody touch it now. <laughs> I wasn't even a model kit guy. Like I, I rushed the process. My models would look sloppy. I have the old Superman Aurora bottle where he's like punching through the brick wall. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I actually bought that at a, um, a garage sale like three or four years ago. Oh, I still have awesome. it in the box. The original? I don't know if it's the original or not. 
because um, I'm not re- in that world. Did. I just saw it and was like, I must buy this for the. $5. Oh no, that's cool. They did re- they did re releases. If you actually have the original from the '70s and it's in the box, that's pretty valuable. But um, I like, but I was so excited to build it. But the problem with model kits is they're not built to be played with, and that 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 was a mistake. Uh, but then I was so excited to build it. I, I didn't realize I put it, I glued the wrong fists on the wrong hands. So like he's punching through that wall, but with his left hand, you know, like on the right arm. So, or the left hand on, yeah, that's correct. So anyway, that, that, that but it, cause I was just excited. Like I wanted to see it done. I wanted to see it put together. And then I tried painting it and I didn't have the right paints. And it, it just looked like a horror show when I was done. And, uh, I don't have the patience for that kind of thing. I, I, I realized like I like I like blank canvases. I'd rather sculpt with clay than put together a model. I'd rather start with a blank piece of paper than copy something from, you know, even today, like I have to draw realistic shit all the time in my comics. And like I have to get out a bunch of reference and I hate having to like sit there and make sure that I'm drawing a Chinook helicopter. And it's like I have to make sure that the windows are in the right place and the propeller blades look believable and i would much rather that's what made space based bastards fun it's like i'd much rather just make up a spaceship or you know make up a vehicle out of my head what's been fun too about batman is i got to design a couple of batmobiles for him oh that's gonna be used anywhere else but that was fun i got there's a scene coming up and i think uh oh no it was in issue one i think you can see the batmobile back at the headquarters or back at the cave well, Derek, I've taken up so much of your time, and I really appreciate it. Um, hey, it was fun talking to you, Chris, as usual. It was. So uh, to everyone out there, um, where's the best place they could follow you if they want to uh, follow your antics online? Uh, I have a website. Uh, if you just want background information on me or just general stuff, like you can go to DerekRobertson.com. It doesn't get updated a lot because I'm not that interesting. And uh, But I'm uh, a loudmouth on Twitter. Uh, at Derek R, but um, I, I, I talk about politics because I have to vent. So <laughs> uh, I might make you mad. Um, hopefully not. But, uh, you know, uh, I just want peace and love in the world. I don't think I'm alone. But, uh, you know, I don't want things to get better. So I'm hopefully I'm part of the solution. But sometimes you just got to go, God, look at this jackass. <laughs> Can you believe they said this? But anyway, I hope that, uh, but that, that's the, those are the, that's all I got on Facebook a long time ago. So that's pretty much the only social media I'm on is Twitter. And if you and also want life. peace and love in the world, like we do go to your local comic shop, pick up issue one of Batman fortress. It's out right now and it's worth it. Everybody. Thank you for the nice words, Chris. I know uh, definitely go support your local comic book shop because those yes. guys need the, need the support. I don't want to live in an online only world. I do enough as it is. So. <laughs> Welcome back to the other side. I brought Mike back. The other side. And I'm back. I came back. I got through the time stream or something. And here I am. Uh, yeah. So Batman Fortress. I really like that book. So check it out. The art is fantastic. If you didn't see my tweet, go look at it. Uh, I was reading it and I was like, damn, like this is a good Batman. Uh, and then I made the joke with Derek that like that's the chin of justice because he does like a really defined like butt chin for Batman, which is not bad. I wasn't making fun of it at all. Um, but you know, he's he's a good sport about that stuff. He's been drawing for 
lots and lots of years. So he he's he's one to take criticism really well. Um, you know, he's yeah. he's a good sport. So we'll talk more heavily about that book in a little bit. But his for some reason, I really liked his Jim Gordon. Yeah, yeah, his Jim Gordon looks really good too. Yeah, yeah, he's such a great artist. Uh, okay, so comic news, everybody. Uh, DC has announced that Mark Wade's World's Finest comic, as well as the recent Shadow War event, is getting a spinoff this summer called Batman vs. Robin. Uh, okay, the series will feature. So they're like, you have two events. We're gonna mix them together and make one event. Uh, the series will feature art from uh, Mahmoud Mahmoud Azrar, and will pit Bruce Wayne against Damian Wayne as he is taken under the spell of Naza. Okay, so we're getting the whole time, the whole devil Naza thing from world's finest. And they're bringing that into the shadow war where Damien and Batman have kind of split. And you skipped the most important part there written by Mark Wade. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Written by Mark Wade. Um, yeah. I read this press release like eight times. Cause I'm like, how is world's finest going to spin into shadow war? (laughs) Yeah. World's finest takes place in the past. Right. So they're not really part of each other. (laughs) No, but I kept going over, like, missing the part where the demon, the the Neza, or whatever the hell his name is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was a part of it, and that's the only connection. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. Um, Yeah, because Shadow War is kind of wonky to me. I'm not really too into it, but I love in World Finest and Mark, Mark Wade's writing it, so, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll check this out. I mean, I think it's... Mm-hmm. I, I understand what they're doing with Damien right now. They're trying to heel turn him and make him kind of a bad guy again, which I'm not yep. a big fan of, but... We've, got, we've gone through sure. the cycles. Yeah. Uh, Marvel has announced that Star Wars The High Republic is getting a new number one this October. Creative team will be at the helm of the series. Writer Kevin Scott, artist Ario and... And Nindito, but will shift the focus of the story to the planet Jeddah, a Force-sensitive planet. Oh, that's where they mine all the kyber crystals, right? Yes. Um, are you? So, what do you think? I mean, you're reading High Republic. You like this team? They're just going on a new story arc. I mean, I mean, uh, I'm enjoying High Republic. I like Kevin Scott's Star Wars stuff. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know what else to add there other than just the higher Republic's been really good. Um, what those two have done with that world so far has been just phenomenal. If you're a, a lap star Wars fan, or you're just kind of sick of the, the empire um, time era, this is really good. If you were a fan of the old Republic or the Knights of the Republic, like it takes some of that, except we're in a little bit of a different era where like the Jedi reign supreme and they're kind mm-hmm. of like the gold standard um, for the, the, the galaxy. So I'm down, I'm down for more. I'll I've since Marvel took over, I've been buying every star Wars comic. I'm going to continue until they turn to trash. <laughs> so, and that yep. hasn't happened yet. I haven't, I can't think of a bad star Wars comic since Marvel took over. You just cursed them. <laughs> I did. Yeah, well, is. when you start, when you when you announce you're getting Star Wars and you put Jason Aaron 
as your like lead Star Wars writer, like you're coming out the gate swinging, and it's been yeah. pretty much all star creator since then. Even Kevin Scott, like he did a lot of the all ages Star Wars stuff for a while, and this was his first shot at like a grown up quote unquote Star Wars, but he's killed it and everything he's done. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah. I like the I like it all. Um, okay. Let's talk about what we read this week. I had a lot of uh, Kickstarter books that I got to catch up on. Uh, when I when I got the Night Wrath book, it came with a bunch of like indie add-ons. So I read a bunch of stuff. Um, I finished up Curse Words Volume 1. So really good. Love that book. You were totally on point with the arts. Amazing. Uh, the first story arc's great. And I can't wait to get into the next story arc. I read this book called Magic Powder, number one and two. Um, this is a Kickstarter book from Jeffrey Paul Lewis Schiller. Yes, there's four names. Uh, it's an interesting take on like a fantasy world with like dwarves and goblins and elves. And basically magic powder is how you do magic. And it's almost treated like a, like cocaine or something like that. So it's almost like a, like a, like a crime, uh, like a crime movie that's based off like magic and like these characters that, you know, from like D and D. So th- it's a really cool twist. Um, there's like magical weapons and stuff, but it's almost like, it's almost like watching uh, um, the departed or something. But like if every character was a, was like a, you know, a magical beast. So it's, it's a really cool story. It's called the magic powder. I recommend it. Uh, Ichabod Jones. Number one, this is from Russell Nolte. And uh, Fenzo Podesta, Russell Nolte is a, a previous uh, previous uh, show guest. Um, so this book, uh, interesting art. The art almost reminds me of like Chew style, where it's kind of like slightly cartoonish, but it's also like something grim and gruesome is happening. So uh, this guy, this kid or guy, is like in a asylum and like sees this monster chasing him, and his head keeps telling him like you need to fight back this monster, like you're a monster hunter, and he keeps thinking it's in his head, and like he kills the beast by the end of it. And it's like okay, we have more work to do. That's how it wraps up. It was a cool first issue. I really liked it. Um, uh, Spider Squirrel number one. <laughs> I finally got around to reading this one. Uh, this is another uh, previous um, show guest. This was the, uh, I think this was uh, the first issue kind of involves a lot of different writers and artists, like different, it's basically like spider squirrel is jumping from universe to universe pretty much. So we get like a different take on each, uh, universe and the characters. Um, yeah, Charlie McKelvey was the, uh, the previous, uh, guest we had on. So like trash panda, we talked about that. We talked about this book, but the art's amazing. Uh, it was a really fun story because it involves like a multiverse. So it involves a lot of like shitty heroes and villains. I really like that. Um, Quick shout out uh, issue two and three yeah. are on Kickstarter right now for that book. Hell yeah. Go, go read it and fund it back it. Um, I read eight billion genies. You were right. That book is awesome. Uh, nothing more to be said there. Uh, Shaolin Cowboy came back. This was like uh, this, this kind of like, was under my radar because Shaolin Cowboy is this book that's just like amazing. It's a silent, silent Shaolin Cowboy that goes through like this post-apocalyptic apocalyptic desert and just fights things and talks about his like his uh, code because he's a Buddhist and like very passive, but also like he's really cool at um, 
killing stuff. So like this is a cruel to be kin is a new story arc of seven issues. Jeff Darrow, Dave Stewart, uh, doing the colors. Uh, Jeff Darrow's story, his art is amazing. Uh, very detailed. And this, this issue is wild. Like it's a, it's a wizard talking about how he met this Shaolin cowboy in the desert. And he's like recalling a story of like how he beat the shit out of this was like, he fights like a, um, a Komodo dragon in the desert. And then he finds this crazy guy that like, I don't know if he's using magic, but he's like floating on this thing in the desert. And he used like, he has like a dinosaur pterodactyl, like as like his minion. And so there's this crazy fight where he sends the pterodactyl down, like Shaolin Cowboys fighting it. And the art is absolutely amazing. Like everybody needs to check this out. He, he's almost floating on like a giant um, jellyfish. It's crazy. This book is insane. And then like he's fighting him and as he's fighting him. They're like running through the desert and he finds his old car. And uh, because the Shaolin cowboy kills the pterodactyl. So he like resurrects the car and the drivers. So like there's this car chasing him with like skeletons driving and the Shaolin cowboy, you know, he just has like his umbrella. That's a sword, it, like a sheath for a sword. It's insane. The book is insane. Uh, I don't know how he got here. Um, there really isn't much plot to this other than it's like a Kung Fu movie, you know, but the art is so detailed. If I had to describe his art, it's almost like Frank quietly drawing it. Uh, so if you're a fan of Frank quietly, mm. if you're a fan of cowboys and Shaolin monks, read this book <laughs> through dark horse. So I don't know. Did you ever read that? No, but in my head, it's like, if you're a fan of cowboys and Shaolin monks, like the crossover there. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you need to read it. It's because I I picked up the trade a long time ago because this this has been a thing that's been going on for years. Really, it's a really good series. The art, the it's the art speaks for itself. It's one of those books where it's just a lot of amazing art. Uh, this is Iron. The first one just called Shaolin Cowboy. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, that to my wish list. I think there's a couple volumes out now. Uh, so Iron Fist number three. Um, yeah. There's a lot of crazy stuff uh, going on. Um, you know, Iron Fist is trying to control his powers. Uh, it reveals that his friend's dad is a demon and like is trying to get the shards, the shards of the sword that he had. So he like basically takes the shards and he puts them in his arms and it gives him almost like the iron. Like that's how he's channeling the Iron Fist power. Um, his, I think it's his brother is like evil and is like looking for, um, He's looking for these like dark uh, he's going to these dark destroyer tombs. They're called like these old gods and he's like stealing their powers so he can like um, I don't know if they're all powers, but they have weapons that imbue their power. So he's looking to do that. And uh, at the end of it, um, the the Iron Fist like gets away and he gets met with two other immortal weapons um, that are like part of this whole that aren't iron fist but they're um they're different they utilize different weapons so this this series has been really good um i like it so far it's almost like shang chi so you know i like my kung fu stuff uh, dc versus vampires hunters number one so this is a dc vampires tie-in did you read this no i didn't get to it okay so basically it's like Damien is the vampires have taken over the city um, fallen Gotham city. Damien is working for the vampires to like kill, to kill heroes. And uh, the person in charge is um, 
you know, is Dick Grayson, which gets revealed at the end. It's basically like after the end of the, the fallout after the last issue of uh, vampires were like, some people went underground. Some people got bit and turned. So Damien's a vampire. He, he like turns in Martian Manhunter, says he kills him to try to get a meeting with, uh, with, um, Dick Grayson, but he's really working for like Alfred and Martian Manhunter, like underground with all the heroes. So he's a vampire, but still like they couldn't actually turn him to like get him to work for him. Um, so they have this big plan. They're like, that didn't get me a, a meeting with, with Nightwing. So what he does is he brings in Alfred and he says that, uh, like I captured Alfred and it's like a plan to like get in and fight, uh, Dick Grayson. Um, so like the, you know, the fight happens. Um, but what's, what's going on is Dick Grayson saw the, the fight happen. Like he knew, he knew this was a trap. So like, he's about to kill Alfred. So Damien gets in his way and he's like dying and Alfred lets him bite him in the neck and drink his blood. Um, so like, but there's a conversation between Alfred and Dick Grayson at the end where he's like, I don't want him to, I don't want Damien to die. Like you can go and take care of him. Like I still care about him, but like there's a greater plan going on here that he's not part of. So, you know, Dick Grayson is still being reasonable. Like he's not trying to kill people that he loves. He just, uh, thinks that the way of the vampires is the way to go. So I thought it was a good issue. Uh, I look forward to reading it. I mean, it's DC versus vampires. It has Damian Wayne in it. It should be right up my alley, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Task Force Z, um, basically Red Hood has got to steal the Lazarus pills from Batman. He gets caught by the Bat family and gets away. (laughs) Uh, Okay. That's pretty much, that's pretty much that that episode, that issue. Uh, Batman Fortress number one. This is the Commissioner Gordon. That, yeah, I'm looking at the yeah Commissioner Gordon looks awesome. You're right. Um, Derek Robertson draws this book. I think he does a great job with the characters. Um, it's uh, it's based. Uh, uh, who is that? Gary Witta that wrote it, right? Yep. Um, it's a it's a story of a an invasion is happening. Something has turned off all the power in the entire world. And uh, I think it's funny that Jim Gordon removes all the, it's something to be said that when Jim Gordon removes all the batteries from the police cars, just to turn the bass signal on, (laughs) that was a funny interaction there. That, that scene when um, Bullock's like, we should be going out and just randomly, you know, searching for crime, blah, blah, blah. And Jim just looks at him and goes, yeah, you want to do it? And he just shuts up. He's like, yeah, that's what I thought. Now just help me get this done. Right. He's like, you want to go out there and do that? Uh, so, you know, also we find out Arkham, there's no power. It's all electrically operated doors, of course. So he's he like goes and grabs Penguin and Joker and throws them back in jail. Um, haven't heard from Superman, which is concerning, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And now he's basically said like, okay, these aliens have uh, declared war and we're going to fight back by the end of it. I thought it was a good first issue. Yeah, I dug the, the like montage of getting all the villains. That was really yeah, cool. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. His moment um, of with Joker where he's like, I could just do nothing now in this wall end. I really like because yeah, right. I feel like that's got to be a constant struggle inside of Bruce. Um, just all yep, in all, great yep. issue. Awesome stuff. Saga 59. Uh, this this uh, The main takeaways from this issue are they're done working with the criminals. They're going to leave now. Um, 
and they kind of trade off some crew members. So they bring some of the young band members want to travel with them, but also the mercenary dude that's traveling with them stays with the pirate. Um, he, he's, uh, he made him an offer to work with him. I don't think we'll ever see them ever again. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, it's, I, I mean, they made him almost an important character talking about his background. Uh, and then the end, at the end, uh, robot is talking to the, um, to Hazel and says uh, that he loves her, like romantically loves with her, loves her. So I'm sure we're going to see how that unfolds. Uh, and then I had one more this week. Um, this would be Godzilla versus Power Rangers number three. Um, this book is just wild. This is Colin Bunn uh, doing his thing with this book is so much fun. The, <laughs> I wish I got to show you the cover for the fourth issue made me even more excited is this crazy, oh man, let's see if I can hold, well, no, you can't see it. Okay. If I hold it in front of me, there's like Ghidorah with the three heads and then the Power Rangers. It's sick, dude. Every, every, every page of this, like this page here is Godzilla with a Megazord about to fight some monsters from Power Rangers. This book is insane. Like the art is so much fun. Every every page is just like, oh man, what monster are they going to fight next? Like, there's this panel here, which is uh, you got the Megazord and Godzilla side by side, like blasting and using the, the sword. Like, I, like what's the plot? I don't even care. These uh, all these things are fighting. I don't care. I don't care what the plot is. They're, you know, whatever the um, the Power Ranger villains. Like, yeah, I'm going to take over the multiverse, whatever. And then Godzilla comes back because he's never dead, and they're still fighting more monsters. It's just awesome. Like Colin Bunn gets it, man. This art is amazing. I got to give a shout out to the artist. Uh, I'm going to look them up, but overall this, this book is so much fun. I'm glad it exists, but that's all I had this weekend. Freddie something. The third is the artist, right? I'm going to look it up right now. Uh, Freddie Williams, the second. Yeah. So you're close. Yeah. I have a bunch of books that I didn't get to this week. I did read so much that I just couldn't like the Dark Knight uh, or um, White Knight Beyond and stuff like that. I haven't got to. So I had the same problem this week. Um, a lot going on. So next week I'll just yep. have a shitload to talk about. Um, but I did read the important stuff like Devil's Reign Omega. Number one. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, this basically sets up like where a bunch of the characters are going to be moving forward. So we got... Um, daredevil looking for kingpin with reed richards which is a fun scene Mm -hmm. and then it kind of just leads into nobody can find where kingpin is so we get to the uh funeral of matt murdoch which is really matt murdoch's twin brother from another dimension but anyways and all the heroes are there so it's kind of like this whole funeral scene and then we get daredevil uh electra daredevil and Luke Cage and Iron, the original Iron Fist, not the new Iron Fist, uh, Danny. Okay. Um, decide that they're going to go stop a bank robbery. And when they get there, the Thunderbolts uh, squad is still there. So we get this. That's basically to say that Luke may be mayor of New York now, but he still has to deal with the uh, laws of the previous administration, how he's going to deal with that. Um, and then... In the background, Jessica Jones goes and finds one of the leftover purple kids and ends up adopting him. Um, and That's so nice of her. A little 
family dynamics that happen there. And we end the first story with uh, somebody going up to Matt Murdock's grave and leaving the stone that brought him to life in the casket. So I'm guessing his twin brother isn't dead. Mm. Um, and then there was a few stories I, I didn't personally care for because it's not my bag. It was a Luke Cage story to set up the new Luke Cage book. Um, he's the mayor and he also fights crime. Like, I don't know what else to say about that. And then, uh, trying to remember what the other one was. Oh, I didn't even read the other one. That's how much I didn't care, but there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. It honestly sets up a lot of like Luke Cage and Iron Fist stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and also sets up in the, the main story that we know that Daredevil and Lecture are going off and trying to fight crime on a grander scale, and their big plan is to fight the hand. So okay. that's somehow going to cross over what's happening with Punisher, and I didn't get to read Punisher issue three yet, but I'll let you know next week about that. So I'm also seeing a, a heel turn there where I think Punisher is now going to become a bad guy. Mm. Um and is going to be in the Chip Zdarsky uh, Daredevil book. But we will see. And then I read Batman Beyond the White Knight. Uh, was this issue three? Book mm-hmm. three, actually. It's not issue. It's a book three. Um, so we find out that Bruce and Harley were married in the last issue. We find out the reason for it in this issue. And then Bruce kind of gets at one of his suits and adjusts it because he doesn't want to be Batman. He just wants to go out and stop beyond, um, which was whatever. And then we find out that Derek powers in this universe, he worked with Victor freeze. If you remember the um, one shot Batman mm-hmm. white Knight presents Victor freeze. Yeah. It yep. ties into what happened there. So that's why that book exists. I was always wondering why that book existed. <laughs> And uh, mm-hmm. then we get Bruce and Terry finally meeting and having their like big fight. Um, and in the background to that was um, Duke meets with Barbara Gordon and is like, I want to leave the GTO. I want to come back to being a cop. I don't like this stuff mm-hmm. anymore. And she goes, well, I don't need you to be a cop right now. I need you to be something else. And she hands him a Robin suit. Damn. So during the Bruce and Beyond fight, he shows up as Robin. He hits Bruce. Bruce falls off a, a building onto a car, and that's mm-hmm. where kind of the issue ends. Is he just a um, giant jacked Robin? <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> that's so funny. Imagine Luke Cage with a Robin costume. Yeah, because he's <laughs> like he's like he's not just like Duke. He's like Powerlifter Duke in this. In this yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, good issue. A lot of action. Some backstory of like where powers came from, what his kind of motivation is, why he's doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I like the there's a scene in there in the beginning where they're talking about Harley and Bruce's uh, marriage. Mm-hmm. And as we know, Joker is kind of in Bruce's head with that nano chip. So he's talking about it, too. And that kind of three way conversation where Bruce can hear both but yeah was very fun and interesting mm-hmm. so uh okay. yeah i really cool. like that as well awesome mike that's everything i had this week where can people find you on the internet you can find me at fortress ricker on twitter where can they find you and or the show you can find me at fortress chris on twitter and you can find the show at fortresscomicnews.com or 
at Fortress Comics underscore on Twitter. I did that backwards this week. Wow. Uh, remember, everybody, to like, subscribe, share, comment down below on the YouTube to uh, give us the five stars on whatever podcast you use, whether it be iTunes or whatever. And if you want to go the extra mile, patreon.com slash Fortress Comics. Um, thank you all so much for listening and watching this week. And we will see you all here next week. Bye.